Good evening. President Joe Biden on Monday formally raises the nation's cap on refugee admissions. A Senate hearing, a, a House hearing, pardon me, looks into a, a deadly crash of a Marine vehicle about a year ago. And we talk about Freedom of the Press Day, World Freedom of the Press Day with a journalist. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo for Monday, May 3rd, 2021. President Joe Biden on Monday formally raised the nation's cap on refugee admissions to 62,500 this year, weeks after facing bipartisan blowback for his delay in replacing the record low ceiling of 15,000 set by former President Donald Trump. Last month, Biden expanded eligibility for refugees to seek asylum in the U.S., removing one roadblock put in place by Trump, but he stopped short of lifting the annual cap. Biden signed three executive orders today, adding he's not legislating from the White House, but undoing his predecessor's actions. With that, I'm going to sign the first order, which is a reestablishment of the interagency task force and the reunification of families. And remove the stain on the reputation for what the separation caused. The second order I'm signing is creating a comprehensive regional framework to address the causes of migration and to manage migration throughout the North and Central America and to provide a safe and orderly processing of asylum seekers at the United States border. Third order I'm signing is restoring the faith in our legal immigration system and strengthening immigration and inclusion efforts for new Americans. And my grandfather said, the grace of God and the goodwill of the neighbors will re reunite these children and reestablish our reputation as being a haven for people in need. Refugee resettlement agencies applauded the action after criticizing Biden for months for letting Trump's cap remain. The new allocation instituted by Biden added more slots for refugees from Africa, the Middle East and Central America and ended Trump's restrictions on resettlements from Somalia, Syria and Yemen. Meanwhile, the administration said today that four families separated at the U.S.-Mexican border during Trump's presidency will be re reunited in the United States this week. Homeland, uh, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas said it's just the beginning of a broader effort. Two of the four families include mothers who were separated from their children in late 2017, one Honduran, the other from Mexico. Mayorkas described others as children who were three years old at the time and teenagers who have had to live without their parents during their most formative years. The parents will return to the United States on humanitarian parole while authorities consider other longer-term forms of legal status. More than 5,500 children were separated from their parents during the Trump administration going back to July 1st, 2017. The Biden administration believes more than 1,000 families remain separated. And also from Washington, the Inspector General of the Marine Corps, Major General Robert Castelvi, who was found to bear some responsibility leading up to a deadly amphibious assault vehicle accident last summer, has been suspended from his job. During exercises near San Diego, an assault amphibious vehicle known as an AAV sank, killing nine troops assigned to the 15th Marine Expeditionary Unit. The announcement was made today by Assistant Commandant General Gary Thomas during a hearing on the July 2020 accident. General Thomas says there's enough blame to go around. The Navy and the Marine Corps totally failed to ensure that personnel were adequately trained 
to ensure that this exercise could be performed safely. The Navy and the Marine Corps failed to effectively integrate with each other to ensure that roles and responsibilities were adequately or even minimally understood and that there was someone, someone with sufficient seniority who was paying attention, monitoring the changing events and constantly conducting and updating the risk management, the safety or the lack of safety. The Navy and the Marine Corps totally failed to understand and to flag that after two decades of focusing on land-based combat, the proficiency for amphibious operations may have been lost, may have atrophied. And that's Assistant Marine Commandant General Gary Thomas. Peter Ostrovsky, a former federal agent and the father of one of the Marines killed, says his son loved being a Marine and entrusted the military with his life. As an experienced federal investigator whose plan conducted and approved many high-risk law enforcement operations, the lack of detail in the briefing tells me one of two things. Either it was intentional as an alleged cover-up for the lack of readiness or the exercise planners were not qualified to appropriately assess risk, or perhaps both. In my opinion, the entire AAV company was placed at extreme risk due to poor equipment, inadequate training, and a poorly coordinated and monitored unsafe training exercise. That is the father of one of the victims, Peter Ostrowski. The uh, amphibious vehicle was returning to a transport dock after completing an exercise when it began taking out water and rapidly sank in 385 feet of water, roughly a mile off the shores of San Clemente Island, California. Eleven other officers believed to share responsibility had been removed from their position. And today is World Press Freedom Day. It's been observed for 30 years. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken spoke at a commemoration of the day. He said freedom of the press is a basic human right enshrined in the United Nations Charter. Authoritarianism is on the rise around the world. Governments are becoming less transparent, more repressive. Corruption is spreading. Disinformation and misinformation are becoming rampant. And of course, the pandemic has accelerated many of these trends. It's it's provided a pretext for repressive governments to, among other things, intensify their pressure on independent media. Some governments incarcerate journalists, uh, harass them, uh, target them for violence. Some use other more subtle, like mandating professional licenses for journalists, then using endless bureaucracy to keep them out of reach. And we've seen the impact of Internet slowdowns, shutdowns, other restrictions that can make it uh, impossible to operate. This is a reminder that Internet freedom and press freedom actually go go hand in hand. The Biden-Harris administration is committed to putting human rights back at the heart of our foreign policy. That includes press freedom. People everywhere should be free to express their beliefs, to hold opinions without interference, to seek, receive, and share information and ideas. It's even written into the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. We see a free press as vital 
for human progress. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, but Blinken's defense of reporters under fire around the world and in what he called authoritarian states falls hollow with some journalists. Kevin Gasola is managing editor of the website Shadowproof. He says in the United States in 2020, 416 journalists were assaulted, 139 journalists were arrested or detained, 109 journalists had their equipment damaged, 31 journalists or news organizations were subpoenaed, and that's all according to the Freedom of Press Foundation and other press freedom groups. Those numbers include Julian Assange, who sits in Belmarsh Prison in London under indictment for espionage by the United States for operating his WikiLeaks website, which uh, leaked numerous documents, as uh, journalists often do as part of news gathering. Kevin Gostola is managing editor of the website Shatterproof. State Anthony Blinken gathered some journalists from organizations that work either uh, with institutions that receive a little bit of funding from the U.S. government, like Radio Free Europe, or other journalists that are in countries such as Russia, China, Venezuela, uh, Turkey, people who have done work in countries that uh, are authoritarian or they've had to navigate autocratic regimes. And he mentioned third world countries. And he went on to make uh, several general claims about what is going on with press freedom in those places. And it just so happens that what he, ha what he said easily can be applied to the United States. He spoke about the incarceration of journalists, the harassment of journalists and the targeting of them with violence. And so I put together a piece that uh, showed that the press freedom record in the United States is one in which Anthony Blinken should be condemning himself. Uh, because especially over the last year, year and a half, we are constantly seeing after police kill community residents, um, whether they're people of color or not, and residents become angry that the press will go out to cover these uprisings and they are targeted with uh, what they call less than lethal munitions or rubber bullets or they're hit with so-called crowd control munitions and they themselves are detained or arrested, so they're harassed. And these are people that the police know. They're the same people who show up to these demonstrations almost every day, if not every other week, and yet they continue to face this kind of treatment. It should not be the police department or any government agency deciding who is and is not a journalist. So a lot of the issues with press freedom that we see throughout the world and they do involve the United States as well. The, the areas where you see the most condemnation come where officials are deciding that a certain person should not be covered by First Amendment protections or more globally, they talk about it as uh, protections for freedom of expression. So is this part of what like Trump was saying about, you know, and what's been echoed by other right wing Republicans that the media are the uh, enemy of the people? It has to do with the police agencies throughout the United States 
wanting the press to be removed from these scenes because they do not like the coverage that is being produced. And they're targeting people who have sources, who provide information from national security agencies, but they're also going after people who travel to protests, pipeline protests. There's a Canadian journalist who I quote in my piece. He had to worry about whether his electronics were going to be compromised, something he did not think would happen in a liberal democracy. And that's Kevin Gastola, and he's the managing editor of the website Shatterproof. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. On April 30th, 1970, 51 years ago, President Richard M. Nixon announced to the nation that United States forces had crossed the border of South Vietnam into the nation of Cambodia. There is one area, however, immediately above Parrot's Peak, where I have concluded that a combined American and South Vietnamese operation is necessary. Tonight, American and South Vietnamese units will attack the headquarters for the entire communist military operation in South Vietnam. This key control center has been occupied by the North Vietnamese and Viet Cong for five years in blatant violation of Cambodia's neutrality. This is not an invasion of Cambodia. And that is President Richard M. Nixon 51 years ago this week. The speech was a lie. United States B-52 bombers have been secretly attacking Cambodia and nearby Laos for some time, and U.S. troops were already spreading the fight throughout the nation, so it was once called Indochina. The result was massive protests at home. 2,000 colleges and universities across the country had protests and strikes and various other actions culminating on May 4th with the killing of students at Kent State University. In Ohio, one of the students killed was 20-year-old Allison Krauss, a gentle peace activist who tried to gently prompt Ohio National Guard troops to put down their guns. Instead, they showed those guns, killing four and wounding 13. Her sister, Laurel Krauss, joins WBAI from California. Well, my sister, Allison Krauss, was one of four students that was killed on May 4, 1970. She was a student protester against the Cambodian invasion that President Nixon had announced on April 30th. There was a lot of problems going on at Kent State University and across the nation at all college campuses. They didn't want to increase and expand the war in Vietnam into Cambodia. And in Cambodia and Laos, they were actually bombing for a full year before they finally came clean on April 30th. 1970 when President Nixon announced that they were going to go there, but they were already there. <laughs> My sister Allison was one of four killed. It was a big event that happened on May 4, 1970. It went around the world. It's now 51 years later. Allison was a 19-year-old. She was an honor student at Kent State University. And on the 51st, I'm looking at what we've experienced for the last 50 years and realize that the truth about what happened to Alice is not included in the story. There's never been any accountability. The university is wholly intent on making sure that the story about Kent State is the way that they want it, and, and they're leaving out the truth. 
Laurel Krauss says her family has had the had to relive the devastating memories of 1970 brought back into their lives by the treatment of protesters since the killing of George Floyd by a Minneapolis police officer. This year on the, on her 70th birthday, Allison turned 70, 70 years old on April 23rd, 2021, just a couple weeks ago. I wrote a letter. Um, it's called Letter to Allison, and it's at the website at www.truthtribunal.org. I hope people will go and read it because my sister stood for peace, love, and healing. And that's how I'm honoring her this right. 51st. When you look at the protests that have been going on since George Floyd, at least, when you see the young people out there and the gunfire and the use of cars as weapons and the attacks on protesters, do you go back to 1970 when you think about those things? Well, there's been a lot of post-traumatic stress felt by many people, including our family, because it's the echoes of the horrendous activity that was going on back then. Nothing has really changed. And uh, but what we have noticed is now that they're talking about protest and they're using the word protest and activist interchangeably. And I think that this is really dangerous. The reason why is I took Kent State to the United Nations in 2014 and I learned that my sister was target assassinated and she experienced extrajudicial execution, a firing squad, literally, because she was protesting the Vietnam War. And we have seen that the CIA has taken a special interest at Kent State University and with our commemorations for the May 4th Kent State Massacre. It's an iconic thing when you see the photograph of the young woman above one of the victims that went all over the world. The posters, the the photographs Mm -hmm. are sort of like... It was a Pulitzer Prize winning photo by John Philo. Basically, people's heart goes out to Marianne Vecchio, who's screaming in that picture. They don't like that. They're not supposed to be on our side, the people. (laughs) When you look today at laws that are being passed all over the country to criminalize protesting, including allowing and legalizing the right to run people down with cars and things like that, which is happening in like a dozen states at least, I think. Do you have any reaction to what's going on with that in light of you know your family's experience? I see that they criminalize protest and they're making it dangerous for anyone to go out there and protest. They're also using the word activism around it, so it makes it so that they have no protections at the UN or anywhere else. Protest is an American right, and they've taken it away from us. And it started, we've, we've seen how they're acting with May 4th Kent State Massacre, and now, 50 years later, it's institutionalized as activism instead of protest, and they're making it illegal. Anything like that? My sister, Allison Krauss, wanted us to revere peace, love, and healing. Let's go on that path. Enough with them getting it all wrong. Let's just build our own peace movement again. And Laurel Krauss is the sister of Allison, who was killed at Kent State University with three other students on May 4th, 1970. A couple of days later, several other students were killed at Jackson State, Mississippi. None of the National Guard troops who fired was ever punished for their actions on that day. The decision to shoot was traced back to the White House. Uh, President Nixon was in touch with the Republican governor of Ohio at the time. And... 
Closer in time and place to us today, friends and family of Andrew Brown Jr. say they will remember him as a devoted and loving father who wanted to give his children things he didn't always have. Brown, 42, was shot and killed by sheriff's deputies in in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, on April 21st. The shooting is under investigation by the FBI and state authorities. Authorities in Elizabeth City have not pointed to any specific history of violent actions by Brown and a judge recently refused to publicly release uh, police body cam videos of the shooting. Family members who've been allowed to see the video say Brown was shot in the back by police, which is a charge denied by the police. Protesters have been marching in the streets ever since Brown was killed. At Andrew Brown's funeral today, the Reverend Al Sharpton said the government is lying and should make the videos public. Khalil and Gerard, I come from New York. They got a place in New York. Over the next few months, I'm going to have y'all come up to New York. I'll show y'all. There's a place they call Times Square. And they got all the theaters and all the movies and all that in Times Square. But they got some folk out that set up little tables. And they do little games to beat the tourists out their money. <laughs> call it Three Card Monte. I'm a preacher, but I know some of the street stuff, too. And three-card Monte is a shell game where they put a little rock or something under one of the cards, have three cards out there, and they play games with your eyes to guess which one of the cards the stone is under. And they'd be playing to get the shell game. And you be guessing this and no, it's this. And you guess this, no, it's this. And you guess this, no, it's this. And being that I'm from New York, and I was looking at what they was dealing with, with the Brown case. Y'all around here arguing about the county and the city and the DA. They playing a shell game. They got the lawyers and Khalil and Gerard going to see, come down here to see a tape, come down and get a tape, 20 seconds here, shell game. Or we'll give you the tape in 30 days, no, we're going to do it in 45, shell game. Don't want to release the tape, it might prejudice the grand jury. Well, the grand jury is supposed to see the tape themselves, shell game. to make us guess tape here tape there come now come later i know a con game when i see it release the whole tape and let the folk see what happened to andrew brown prejudice a grand jury when a grand jury got to see the tape in order to decide whether or not they're going to prosecute. Don't talk to us like we stupid. If there's nothing on the tape, there won't be nothing on it in 45 days. And if there's something on it in 45 days, there's something on it today. 
don't need time to get a tape out. Put it out. Let the world see what it is to see. If you got nothing to hide, then what are you hiding? We going to Washington and get the federal government to look in and stop the shell game. It's time for you to stop playing with the lives of our people. The Justice Department need to come in and stop the shell game. We gonna stand up, we gonna rise up, we gonna hold up. If God be for us, if God be for us, if God be for us, it's more than the whole world against us. Thank you and God bless you. And Bishop William Barber is second in demand for the police body cam videos of the shooting. His body died, but his spirit is rising. There are people that will stand with you that you don't even know yet. There are people that are coming to bring you resources that you haven't even seen yet. They will fight for the Andrews that are yet unborn. I have an Andrew. And I want you to know today that I'm standing with you. Reverend Allen, National Action Network is standing. Repairs of the Breach, Poor People's Campaign, the NAACP, Keith Rivers, and Dr. Spearman, the attorneys. Daniels Crump and Bakari and others are standing with you. The Holy Ghost is going to stand with you until the tapes are released. The Holy Ghost is going to stand with you until the truth comes out. The Holy Ghost is going to stand there until those that are responsible are kept accountable. The Holy Ghost is beside you. The Spirit of God is going to give you all the strength you need. And the church made their determination known through song. We win. And that's some of the news for Monday, May 3rd, 2021. The news was produced with Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.